Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. That's right. Yes, it is. Are we talking with our NPR voices? We are. We're talking with our Phoebe judges. Oh, gosh, yes. I'm Phoebe Judge. And And this this is Criminal. Criminal. If you've never listened to Criminal, you definitely should. It's a great podcast. That's one of my favorite, like, traveling podcasts because her voice is so soothing. I once binged, like... 10 on a flight because they're pretty short some of them are not very long yeah and at first when I heard her voice I was like oh no because it was like too perfect there's something about her voice but it's it works it's just the best podcast voice and the stories are amazing this isn't a sponsored ad for criminal no it's not but also I was gonna say because you love case file yeah I can't get past the guy's accent half the time a lot of people feel the same way about case file yeah does he not share his name is he anonymous anonymous I don't know why that I'm just like I don't know why that bothers me. You're just it you just irrationally hate the anonymous host of Case File. I well no, I don't hate him, but it bothers me that I'm like, why are you anonymous? What's the big deal? Like I just it doesn't make sense to me why he would have this whole air of like He wants to focus on the stories, Madigan. But no one cares who the hosts are. Like People no one cares. Do care. My favorite but murder tells that. But my favorite murder is all chit chat and talk and then a little bit of stories and things like that if you're like a straight up like i'm telling you these stories like i love the podcast true crime series that they have like female criminals and crimes of passion and like they say their names in the beginning and then you don't hear it again and it doesn't matter but at least i'm like oh i'm listening to an episode with vanessa in it or i'm listening to an episode with sammy in it and it just makes it i it it makes me feel better about life you're very That's worked all. up about it. I didn't know I would be, but I am. Like, I had listened to Case File before because remember when you sent me, oh, you recommended an episode to me like three years ago and I listened to it on the car ride home and it opened up with the most terrifying 911 call. It was the Seria Rapist. That's what it was. Yeah. And I immediately called you and I was like, what have you done to me? I'm not going to be able to sleep now. Should have warned you to wait till you got home. Really should have done that. But yeah. Sorry. Not, not good when I have to like leave my car to get to the house and it's dark out. Like, nah. Terrifying. So no, like I really like the show and I like the content but like unless I'm super into the story like you can't listen to a random one true then his voice bothers me true there are some that are better than others yeah but anyway we just just killed two minutes and 30 seconds what are we talking about today Keegan well first off right off the bat at the beginning of this episode I want to go ahead and give a trigger warning that there's going to be a lot of talk of weight weight gain weight loss uh bodies just in general in this episode. Yeah. So if that is something that is difficult for you, I would maybe skip this one or just listen. Well, I'm going to try to make it as positive as possible. Um, There is one thing that I would like to enforce is that we don't use any numbers. Mm -hmm. So we don't use any, I gained this much or I lost this much or anything like that. That's always something that I've learned is good. So people don't end up comparing themselves and things like that. And uh, definitely prefacing a lot of the things that we say with uh, responses to it, not just saying, you know, what what's going on, but why that's going on or why that's happening to you psychologically and things like that. But if you do feel that it's a conversation that will be a little bit too triggering for you, go ahead and skip it. Um, Or just listen at your own discretion. Like, be aware uh, of what might come up. Yeah. And then if you feel yourself starting to be triggered by this conversation, feel free to fast forward or turn it off. Yeah. Uh, That's perfectly okay. Take care of you and your mental health first. Yep. So. Being recovered. I don't... Any bullshit about 
health equating to bodies and things like that, I will call out all day and all night. So we're going to make this one as positive as possible. Yes. Okay. But with that being said, uh, we are talking about the concept of, quote, quarantine bodies, right? Yeah. This has been a topic of conversation that I feel like throughout the entire pandemic, right? It has been something that has been discussed. And it's morphed into different kind of stages and phases and different things right, like that, Right, right. And it's, it's manifested differently for different people. But I feel like since things... Um, have begun to open up, are starting to open up, that with the combination of summer being here or right around the corner, it has led to a lot of talk about bodies and what your body is supposed to look like or what it should look like coming out of this this lockdown, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember in the very beginning, like first week of lockdown, everybody and their mother was doing a workout challenge on Instagram, on Facebook, somewhere. There were so many quarantine workout challenges, quarantine diets, all this kind of stuff, because people, I feel like, had this idea in their heads that they had all this time in the world they were going to put all their focus into their appearance and they're going to come out of quarantine looking hotter than they've ever looked before. And if that happened, that has one effect. And if it didn't happen, that has another effect of how See, we treat ourselves. I feel like our friend groups maybe were reversed because for me, my experience with this pandemic in the beginning, I think with the people I was interacting with, including myself and yeah. Anthony we were soothing ourselves with food. Like, yeah. There was a lot of comfort to be found in like, which of course it made sense. First of all, we're in a, a lot less control over what we were eating at that point because right. we were just buying things at the store because that's what was available. Yeah, And then it's completely normal and natural to turn to things that bring you comfort. Right, and, so- and, and emotional eating in and of itself is not a bad thing. Right. And comfort food recipes spiked at the beginning of... Everyone was making bread. Everyone was making bread. I was making bread. I couldn't find yeast anywhere. Flour was sold out. There was a national flour (laughs) shortage because everybody was making... Everyone was baking. Everybody was, like, finding these ways to comfort themselves. Um, And then, on top of that, there's just the stress of being in a worldwide global health crisis. Exactly. Right? And I don't think a lot of us realized in the beginning already how affected we were by the stress of the pandemic and how that changed our lives so much and our mental health. So I think that um, it's been... I feel like it's kind of been a slippery slope as it's gone on and people are realizing that maybe they hadn't done what they wanted to do with quarantine and things like that, or if they feel guilty about all the things that they did while in quarantine. I feel like now is the time that people are, like, starting to beat themselves up about it a lot more. Um, I know for myself, I've really struggled with weight during this pandemic, especially because my schedule completely changed and I was not given a lunch break at work. And I'm one of those people that when I'm anxious, I lose my appetite. Like I can't eat a full meal. It's just, it's very, very hard for me. And that's why that facilitated my eating disorder so well, because I've always kind of been this way. And For me, it was kind of on the flip side where I lost weight Mm -hmm. and that made me feel horrible. Like I would like bundle up. I didn't want people to look at me. I felt so ugly. I didn't want people to assume things about me. Um, So I, I know that it goes to either side and everybody copes with trauma and stress and anxiety in different ways, particularly when it comes to food and exercise and all of that kind of stuff as well. And then also I was in fucking poverty this whole year. So sometimes I didn't have any money for food. Which I think was a big thing for a lot of people as well. And on the other side of that, when it comes to weight gain, um, if you have lost your job, I think a lot of people think, for me, certainly, whenever I was at my most poor, I lost a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, But I think for other people, there's an increase in eating kind of convenience foods, right? Like, so you're just eating 
what's cheap, which oftentimes what's cheap is like, you're going to get hamburger helper, you're going to go get McDonald's or you're going to, which again, there's nothing inherently wrong. No, with it's just any about, it's just about the quantities of it. And I think that, I mean, the one thing that I could say over and over and over again is just to be mindful of what you eat and be aware of it. Because I think for myself, when I was losing weight, I wasn't really paying attention to it. I was just trying to survive. And then once I realized it, I felt like complete shit about myself. Right. And that goes both ways with weight gain and weight loss. And it makes sense in this situation where people were experiencing a lot of financial stress, uh, when people weren't able to cope with stress in ways that they would normally by maybe going out, seeing people, interacting with humans. Yeah, exactly. And so there was this Yale Medicine study that said that there are organic body changes that happens when the body is under stress. Yeah. And very often turning to food to cope with stress is common. Um, It's normal. And I want to emphasize that, not that I think that we're going to cover weight gain, weight loss, um, fitness, in quotes, all of that stuff in this episode. But I do want to specifically talk about this because I know that a lot of people are feeling self-conscious going into the summer about maybe potential weight gain, yeah. right? That that there's even a term for it because it deals with numbers. I won't bring it up, but there there is a term for this thing. Um, but since it deals with, with numbers, I won't bring it up on the podcast. But it's incredibly common in lockdown, in the first three months of lockdown, doctors reported that they'd seen patients in telehealth report, uh, appointments who had gained quite a, a bit of weight, and that that was a completely normal thing. A recent survey from the market research firm Ipsos found that about a third of Americans said that they had gained weight during the pandemic. Uh-huh. And so in that Yale Medicine study or article, they said that there are organic body changes that happens when your body is under stress. And there are also me- metabolic changes associated with the fight or flight syndrome. Yeah. Um, when you're stressed, your body will sense it and it will not give up any calories when it needs, when it thinks it needs it, right? Yeah. For energy, for running away or combat. So whenever yeah. you are in a state of heightened stress um, or fear, which yeah. I feel like there was a lot of fear, especially in the early part of the pandemic, yes. your body will literally have a reaction where it's like, we're going to hold on two calories. Yeah. Right. Because well, you're in survival mode. You're in this mode of almost like where I feel like you go back to like prehistoric times mm-hmm. where if you, you know, knew that winter was coming and you weren't going to be able to have the same amount of food as before, you're going to eat a huge batch of your crops before and eat as much as you can, squirrel it away so you can, you know, survive times where there will be less right. food and it's, things like that. It's biological. And so like what I'm trying to get out here is yeah. if you've gained weight during the pandemic, it is fine. It's yeah. beyond fine. It's normal. Yeah, it's it's absolutely completely normal. And one thing that I that I read that stuck with me is saying that it's common for us to obsess over things when we're stressed. Yes. And overly concentrating on our bodies and its changes is a common one. I mean, who I don't think I know any person in my life that I haven't heard make a negative comment about their body or stress about whether or not they're gaining or losing weight and things like that. And we forget the fact that we were all collectively under so much stress and trauma and trauma yeah that we cannot be expected to live our lives the same way all the time you know what i mean like you living your pre-pandemic life during the pandemic is almost virtually impossible. It was impossible. Yeah, like with not even just physically impossible, but i think also also mentally just so incredibly difficult to have the same, at least for me, to have the mental health that I've had for years and suddenly be like, I feel like hell. I was having panic attacks every day. Oh, yeah. I was having, like, tantrums. Yeah. Like, I had not behaved that way since I was, like, very unwell. You know what I mean? And it was something that I had to kind of, like, come to terms with and be okay. And, like, you know, talking about food and exercise and everything like that, we also have to learn that it's okay if we gain weight or it's okay if we eat more. And like there is this fear of like emotional eating. And the reason we keep saying it's okay is because I got this uh, quote from an article I read that says, we wouldn't be afraid of emotional eating if we weren't afraid of weight gain. Right. And because we're obsessing over our bodies, but we also really want the cookies and the ice cream and things like that, that almost becomes like a spiral of 
beating yourself up over of something course. and then wanting to fix mm-hmm. it even more, which can lead to something so much worse than just eating or not eating to cope because of that perpetual cycle. Right. You touched on something that I want to talk about. I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast. I know I've talked about it on my restate when I was discussing. If you haven't seen Bo Burnham's Inside, you should watch it. You should watch it immediately. That's the thing is I don't feel like it's kind of depressing, right? I was not depressed watching it. For me, it was cathartic because... First of all, he's very funny. His music is great. Um, it, to me, I found a certain amount of catharsis in it because it's the first thing that I've seen where you're getting a real-life look at somebody who has anxiety and depression dealing with being inside for the amount of time that See, we were inside. See, for me, I lived that, which is why I think... You know I, what I, mean? I understand. Like, I've I'm, been seeing, like, everybody posting, like, crying emojis and stuff, and I'm like, I don't think I can watch this yet. I, I think I have I to understand. wait until this is more in the past. I will still recommend it. I recommend that, you know, I recommend that you watch it, uh, because I... It stuck with me because I feel like we are not being honest as a society about the way that we experienced our trauma. Yeah. Like, everyone just came out. I was in maybe the worst. Maybe. And I've had some really low lows in my life. And I feel like during the pandemic, it may have been the worst it's ever been. Yeah. Um, And we as a society have just collectively decided to move on from that and not deal with the fact that like we all collectively went through something incredibly traumatic. And if you had any mental health problems before those mental health problems during the pandemic were probably exacerbated. That's the reason why Teladoc therapy went through the fucking roof during the pandemic. Um, People were really struggling. And I think that, we are not giving part of this. We must return to our pre-quarantine bodies, right? right? This this drive to do that is this unwillingness to acknowledge that we went through something we have to heal from. Yeah, like, we just won't do it. And I think there's been a lack of honesty since the beginning. You know, we were talking about social media and uh, filters and all that kind of stuff on the mini episode. And I think that that plays into a lot of it too, because again, for most people, you only put things on social media that you want the world to know about and you want the world to see. So you really were suffering silently and you weren't, yes, you know, you weren't seeing your friends that you could say, God, I'm really having a hard time and all this stuff. Like I felt like I had tried to talk to my mom and like send off alert signals a few times. And it like, wasn't until I had like a full on breakdown with her over FaceTime that she was like, I had no idea it was that bad. You know? And I feel like there was also an element. I felt this for sure. And there were moments with, with my friends where we started, one of us would start crying, right? And part of, part of it was, you know, if you're an empathetic person, you know that other people are struggling. Yeah. And you don't want to put your shit on anyone else. That was a big thing for me. It was just like, I don't want to, everyone's life fucking sucks right now. Do I need to also burden this person with my shit on top of everything else. I don't see it like that at all. Unless you were asking someone to physically or emotionally carry it for you or do something for you. But sometimes even just listening is a lot. It takes emotional effort from someone. It can, but I gotta say, you know, the times that you and I would talk for like 40 minutes before we started recording and stuff and just knowing that like I wasn't alone in feeling so shitty made me feel better. Yeah. Why am I crying right now? See, I'm like welling up just thinking about the pandemic. Because it was trauma. (laughs) Like, it's trauma that we're not being, like, nobody is saying, yeah, this was traumatic. Like, and I think that that's a big part of it. And I know we've kind of gone off on a tangent, but it it does loop back in because, again, this this push. Because this is the reason. (laughs) And this push to return, right? We have to pick up where we left off. We have to get right back in where we were at. And it's summer, so you should do it looking a certain way, right? Yep. And if you if you didn't come out of the pandemic, you know, having completed all of these fitness routines or right. whatever, then you failed because you weren't productive in that time, even though we were expected to be productive when we were at our worst mentally, you know? Yeah. It's, it's 
stupid, quite frankly. And then on top of everything else, you were talking about um, the fact that during the pandemic, we had a tendency to um, hyper fixate on the things that are perceived flaws, the things that we didn't like about ourselves. And we talked about this a little bit in our face filters episode. Uh Uh-huh. That coming out of lockdowns, um, tweakments, <laughs> which is basically Botox fillers, other injections as well as right. um, an interest in other plastic surgery or c- cosmetic procedures, they went up. They went up coming out of lockdown. Now, part of that is because people weren't able to go get their regularly scheduled fillers or whatever, so you're going to see an increase there. But a big part of it was also because everyone had the time, and this has actually been, you know, it's still being studied and everything, of course, but like everyone had the time to sit at home with very little else to do. I mean, we're working, we're doing other things, but you're spending a lot more time fixating on yourself. Right. And I mean, if you think about, like, if I think about someone being in solitary confinement or being stuck in the middle of nowhere, like most of us are not human beings that can thrive being alone entirely. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just not how we operate. And here, I've got, sorry if this is, like, kind of all over the place, but I did read a really interesting survey on mental health during the pandemic, which I think explains a lot of that hyperfixating as well on top of everyone being so isolated. So there was a survey from March 2020 in the beginning of the pandemic that showed an increase in the use of alcohol and marijuana among people (laughs) in the United States to relieve pandemic-induced anxiety and depression. In the same survey, they found that 38% of people were feeling tired or lacked energy. Yeah. 36% were having sleep disturbances. And 25% felt down, depressed, or hopeless. Hello. the beginning of the pandemic. Check, 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 check. Right. (laughs) A year later, scientists are are starting to see a global surge in depression. A survey done by the U.S. Census Bureau in December of 2020 showed that 42% of people in the United States have reported symptoms of anxiety and depression that month compared to just 11% in 2019. So it's 11% in 2019. Mm-hmm. December of 2020, 42% of people in the U.S. were saying they were experiencing symptoms of depression. Another study has shown that cases of depression in the United States have tripled over the course of the pandemic. And when we are struggling with our mental health, our physical bodies, our physical selves, yes. a lot of times take it will manifest the wayside. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that goes back to emotional eating you know why do we emotionally eat is it something that it's good is it something that is bad and everything that I was reading from doctors is like well the reason that we emotionally eat is because it works when you eat something that comforts you or drink something that comforts you it does make you feel better and and we had so few coping mechanisms now I mean of course you want to be aware you want to prioritize your health but like we said, that was very hard to do. Like, our normal coping mechanisms had been stripped from us. So there wasn't a lot else to do. And we had to... And this is the thing. We got through it how we had to get through it. We can deal with whatever the fallout from that is at our own pace, at, at whatever point in the future. But... We needed something to get us through that moment. And so if, well, yeah. you, if you ate emotionally, if you drank emotionally, yeah. if, you, if you did these things to cope with the stress and trauma of being in this unbelievable, unpredictable situation, right. um, you're bound, okay. you're bound to rely on things or at least yeah. have the urge to rely on things that you normally wouldn't. And I mean, when it comes to eating in particular, when we eat, we go into a relaxation response, which is a parasympathetic response, which is like the rest and digest kind of thing. So after we eat, we feel more rested. Mm-hmm. We want to yeah, lay down. Yeah. We want to relax. We digest best when we're calm. So our body naturally calms itself when it gets food. And when you're eating, you're breathing and digesting. Your breathing becomes deeper. Our heart rate decreases. Our muscles relax, etc. Um, and then I thought this was a really good kind of point of how to still monitor that. Because I don't want to say, oh, is a cookie going to make you feel better? Eat 60. Right. Because that's excess. But there was something that I did in treatment that was really helpful that I still do to this day when I have really negative thoughts about myself or things like that. And there's the, you know, disordered health or self or the unhealthy self. And then there's the healthy self. What would your healthy self 
say back to your unhealthy self? What would you say to a friend that was having this situation? And um, for people who were concerned that maybe it was turning into, you know, binge eating or other things like that, I read online that there's something called the three hows. So the first one is how else are we dealing with difficult emotions? How much are we eating? And how often are we using food as a coping mechanism? And then that goes into also being gentle with yourself. Like I said, speaking differently to yourself. So instead of saying, I'm so bad for eating all this ice cream, saying that ice cream was delicious and it's nice to have a treat after another long day in lockdown. Or saying, it's been a year since I set foot in the gym. Or you could say, I've enjoyed taking long walks outside every day. You know, there's other ways to be able to healthily respond to yourself so you're also not getting your stuff, yourself stuck into this cycle of feeling bad for the way you're coping. Right. You know? I think it. there came a point for me where I had to say to myself, like, you deserve grace. I think that that is something that's important is, like, you deserve to be gentle with yourself because everything else is so hard right now. Yeah. Do you and, need one more thing? And I think that we were all, for the most part, more gentle with each other. I also wanted to touch a little bit on um, Zoom dysmorphia. <laughs> oh, because my gosh, yeah. I am... I have it, okay? I certainly have it. So, Did you feel, because I wasn't really, the only time I really was on Zoom is like hanging out with friends and then recording with you. So I didn't have that, like, I got to sit in meetings all day or sit in school all day. Do yeah. You, do you feel like you felt the urge to, like, get up and still put your makeup on or appear to be a certain way because oh, yeah. you needed to look a certain way on Zoom? Certainly, yeah, for sure. Uh, I especially starting a new job and training. <laughs> I was training in the in the be- at the beginning. Which sounds impossible to me. Right. <laughs> I, so I was doing I got a new job in April of 2020, uh, which was like a month into the quar and <laughs> I um was on f- Zoom all day, like camera on on Zoom all day every day for about a month with my with my supervisor so that right. she could teach me how to do what I was doing. And the thing is, is that we don't tend to look at the other person. Like, no. our eyes do tend to draw to us. Right. You know what I mean? If we can see ourselves, we're going to want to look at ourselves. You know what I mean? And that image is distorted. It's very distorted, so yeah. It's, it's not really how you look. Like, that's a big part of it, too. I mean, there have been studies that have proven, um, you know, even with front-facing cameras, right? That isn't a, a real representation of what your face looks like. It's not. I had to take a headshot for something, and I took, because um, I don't have a nice camera, I just like took one with my front-facing camera, and then I turned it around and did my back-facing camera. Right. I looked different. so different. Right. It was wild. I mean, they've, they've said it will make your nose look bigger, just yeah. because of the way that the camera is, right? So there's all those memes and jokes about how, like, oh, I think I look good in the mirror, I think I look good but here, and then if my front-facing camera is like, what the fuck, you know what I mean? Yeah, or we open it up and we've got, like, three chins, because it's down in our lap, and right. then you're like, do I always look like that? Right, you know? and same thing on Zoom, right? Like, the angle of the camera, it's on a laptop, it's probably not where it would be if you were taking a photo, all of that stuff, the type of, of camera it is, all yeah. of that stuff, it's not an accurate representation of what you look like. No. And you're spending sometimes hours, luckily I got to the point where, you know, I've been working from home for over a year now, I don't turn my camera on unless I, like, have to for a meeting, because I do feel like... When not- you speak, do you turn it on? Because I feel like that would be, like, I would turn it on and be like, hey, I'm gonna talk. No, I don't. I, oh, I don't wow. turn it on when I speak unless, um, again, unless I'm in, like, a meeting with my, like, VP or someone who, like, I need to have my camera on, or, like, in team meetings, I'll turn it on. So yeah. now I turn my camera on maybe, like, three or four meetings a week. You know, I don't turn it on constantly. Yeah. But in the beginning, especially, we were having Zoom birthdays. We were doing Zoom Zoom parties. Zoom game nights and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I feel like ring lights became so much more popular for the everyday user in the pandemic. Like, I feel like... Yeah. So I don't. I was gonna get one before the pandemic, and I never got it. But I know, like, even a lot of podcasters that I listened to were like, "I got my ring light set up just so they can feel better about themselves when they're on Zoom with their co-host." 
doing their thing, you know? is completely valid. So I was reading this article, and it said, From work and school to birthday celebrations and happy hours, many people now rely on Zoom and other virtual platforms to connect with the people in their lives. In fact, data shows that in January of 2020, there were approximately 56,000 people per day downloading Zoom in particular. By March, that number had increased to about 2.13 million daily downloads. I had never used Zoom before the pandemic. Did not know what Zoom was, but sure do I know now, you know? (laughs) Right, yeah. I had used it one time to guest on a podcast. That's what they used to record. And I had remembered thinking, like, I'm never going to use this again. Like, this is such a weird experience. Like, I, I, and, you know, here we are. So, in April of 2020, Zoom had to release a statement, I think we remember, where they were like, we weren't ready for yeah. the uh, the amount of traffic we were getting. Yeah. Um, so they had to adjust their platform. And so with this, many people, like we were saying, experienced that heightened awareness of their own appearance on camera. And the experts, I don't know whoever they are, have dubbed this phenomenon Zoom dysmorphia. Yeah. And this um, doctor, Mary Beth Evans, She is a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, She said, one of the things that helps to discern if there is body dysmorphia is somebody who doesn't like looking at themselves but will spend hours in front of the mirror trying to perfect something about them. And now the kids are at home and the adults are at home and they may spend more time checking. They are also seeing their image portrayed on Zoom meetings where they focus on something very small that other people don't notice at all. I find myself doing that all the time. Like I'm just like, is that what I look like. Like, I need to go, like... Yeah. I mean, for me, like, I pretty... I mean, I never wear a lot of makeup, but I stopped wearing any sort of makeup. I mean, I went over a year without putting a drop of makeup on my face. And I think for me, like, in my life, I'm comfortable with that. But when I see myself on a camera or, like, when we would record and I would have, like, a little light here, I was like, oh, my God, like, under my eyes or, like... And oftentimes... Look, like, I just felt like I looked sick. I was like, is lighting. that how I look like? It's, it's lighting. It, a lot of that is. But that is why, if I know I'm turning my camera on... I won't put a lot of makeup on, but I will do under eye concealer and mascara, you know, and maybe like something on my lips just to make my face look like healthier or what we think is supposed to look like a healthier face and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we weren't dressing up. We weren't getting our business attire on every day. Everyone was in like their yoga pants and sweatpants right. all the time. Exactly. So there was like a different kind of standard of what you looked like on your day-to-day life. Yes. But then when you're comparing, even if you see somebody else who's in a pair of sweatpants and not wearing any makeup, it's still so much easier to be like, well, I should still look good. Yes. I should still look better. Like, it's fine for that person. Or they look okay, they but look I don't. They look great like that, but that doesn't work for me. Right, yeah. You know? And I think that seeing so many different people in different elements like that, too, is easy to convince ourselves that there's something wrong with us, that that person is handling their appearance and everything else so much better than we must be in Yeah, I've, I've never felt the way I feel. I mean, listen, I've struggled with body dysmorphia. I've struggled with issues to do with my physical appearance my entire life. Yeah. I think that's a pretty normal, um, unfortunately sad story. Well, I was going to say, societally, that's what we've been taught to do right. since birth. Pick, so. pick yourself apart, and I've always done that. However, and again, it's part of why I got off social media, I don't know if I've ever felt this bad about myself. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I've ever felt this unattractive to myself. Same. Like, ever. So... I don't think I've said I'm ugly so much since I was in treatment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just all the time. Like, I would have my medicine cabinet opened. I wouldn't look at myself in the mirror. didn't want to see my face. Yeah. So if I was brushing my teeth, washing my face, anything, I would open up the medicine cabinet. Can't deal with that right now. Not going to look at my face. It's going to make me feel worse. That whole thing. Yeah. I I empathize with you because I feel the same way. It you sucks. Know? It, it sucks. It does suck. Thank God I don't have a full-length mirror. Oh, I do. And it's... I have it in my bedroom. It's right behind you. And uh, the number of times I have stood naked in front of that mirror and just squeezed the fat on my thighs, you know, just... I would recommend turning it over. (laughs) I did that when I left treatment. I had a full-length mirror, and I turned it over, and I painted this, like, mural on the other side of it. So it was, like, a big piece of artwork. And then when I really felt like, you know, I just want to look in the mirror to see how I look. Mm -hmm. How does this outfit look on me? I'm not going to, you know, I feel well enough that if looking in this full-length mirror isn't going to make me pinch my stomach and look to the side and do all the usual checks that I normally would have done, I think that 
if that's there, you're going to continually go back to it over and over and over and oh, over Oh, again. yeah, but mine is um, secured to the wall, so oh, I, shit. Well, I would have to remove it. You could put pictures over it. It's true. I it's, don't know. Or just write affirmations on it or something to yeah, make me feel better. Yeah, honestly, that's what, when I was in treatment, we would use dry erase markers and write affirmations. There were no full-length mirrors, so even if it was just, like, from the waist up, we would draw pictures on it or do, you know, whatever you needed to do to make you feel a little bit better when you were looking in the mirror. I am also a firm believer in not owning a scale. I don't, oh, I, I, I did get rid of my scale during the pandemic. I will say that. Because we put so much weight, no pun intended, on the, the number. number on the scale mm-hmm. and how that makes us feel every single day. And for me, when I, because I lost weight, I didn't step on a scale for a while. And when I did, I felt like an absolute failure for oh, not yeah. seeing the number that I'd seen for the last few yes. years, even though, you know, I'm still, I'm moving around, I'm healthy, I'm not purposefully disorderly eating any of my food or anything like that. Still seeing that number to me meant I was a failure. Well, and here, okay, that kind of leads us right into this this next topic, because here's what I'll say. I know that there is a lot of potentially negative things to say about the at-home fitness explosion that happened... Fucking Peloton. During, Give me a break. During the pandemic. Like, there's, there's a lot of things to discuss here. Yeah. What I will say, as somebody who did the comfort eating thing at the beginning, making all the bread thing, mm-hmm. and then decided I want to start doing some of these fitness challenges, I actually think, for me... Establishing that kind of routine was really good for my mental health and for the first time in a long time in my life, whenever I was doing it heavy, I wasn't numbers focused. Yeah. Uh, and I and I was focused on other things, right? And and like and not necessarily all good things either. Right. But but it was an accomplishment for me to be able to say, I can throw my scale away. It's not about what I weigh. Yeah. And so to me, that was Good. That was a yeah. good thing that came out of that. Now, well, and exercise is important. I mean, it's important for our bone density. It's important for our energy levels and all of those things. And I think for me, I was feeling so fucking shitty all the time that I was like, I can't work out. I just physically felt like I was like, I don't have the energy yeah, to even I hear go you. on a walk anymore. Like, yeah. it just was horrible. But the, I'm glad that now, like, that I'm finally kind of on my feet again and getting back into life, I see how important that section of it is too. Still taking good care of your health in terms of eating and exercising and things like that without it going to like what you said, having it be numbers based or having it based on any sort of like, um, here's the like size that you want to get down to or anything like that. Working out for aesthetic purposes is always going to be a little bit problematic. Like it always is. And it doesn't last. That's the thing about diets and fat exercises is that they're like pyramid schemes. They are doomed. They are doomed from the start. We are not meant to live our lives on diets. We are meant to mindfully and intuitively eat the things that we are craving and then have the wherewithal to stop when we are full Because we know we can have more food later or things like that or having a few extra cookies because they taste so good but knowing you don't have to eat all 20 of them. You know what I mean? And I think that's where we start getting twisted in our minds because we have this idea in our heads like this workout challenge, this diet, this thing, this is going to be the one that I'm going to stick with when biologically our bodies can't do that. Well, the the thing is, you can develop a workout routine that works for you. A workout routine, yes, but as far as like going to a place of like an extreme. Well, the, you know? the thing is, you can develop a workout routine that works for you, and you can maintain that for your whole life. Totally. Lots, lots of people do that, um, and it brings them joy, it brings them mental clarity, it but, brings them physical health. But However, they're not, but they're not having the goals be the same things that I think a lot of us would have our goals it, on as far as numbers and things like that. You can allow aesthetics to be part of your health journey, right? but your main goal should not, and I'll stand by this, I, you know, I started working out for aesthetic purposes. I threw away my scale, I stopped measuring my body because I came to the realization that while that might be an outcome of you working out, if that is your goal, yes, right. you are going to fizzle out. Be, you, your goal for exercising or taking care of your body should not be solely aesthetics. It should exactly. not be solely because you want to look a certain way, fit in a certain, you know, pair of pants. Because mentally, that we, we are not equipped to 
work like that. And I, I feel that more so with dieting than I do with exercise, but I do know that a lot of people, I mean, I've gone through over-exercising in my past. I know a lot of people that really, really struggle with over-exercising. Yes. And it's, it really is tied together because I think, you know, what you said, we have this idea in our minds of what we're supposed to look like. And then also sometimes you step on the scale and that number still isn't giving, like if you had a number in your head, and you step on the scale and you get it, but then you look in the mirror and you're like, well, you I'm still it. not at where I'm supposed to be. Right. There is this unattainable goal where I think that if we were to work on ourselves mentally and emotionally as much as we work on our physical selves, that's like if you can marry those things together is when yes. you can start to create a healthy lifestyle for yourself and be mindful rather than having it be a punishment or having it be something you have to do. Do exercises that make you feel good. Like I love bike riding. I physically can't go on jogs because my body is so fucked up. Um, so I love to go biking. I right. love to take my dogs for walks. Find the thing that you enjoy doing. Exactly. Right? And, and it shouldn't be do a that thing, right? You know, I completely agree. There are health benefits to remaining active, right? Yeah. Like, you want to remain active, especially as you get older. It's, it's important to try and remain active. But yeah. what that looks like for every person is different. And, yeah. you know, also when I was going down this, this fitness journey during, uh, during the quarantine, I also saw that there's, I was reading a lot of articles, right. And trying to mm -hmm. like educate myself because it's not anything I'd ever done before. And I began to notice that there's a lot of stuff in the quote unquote fitness industry, um, health industry, wellness industry, that is just bad information yeah. that's going to lead a lot of people to, um, not only, disappointment, but also uh, really it could lead people to very unhealthy situations, right? Well, because because that's like, the thing is like you don't have, not everybody is checked by what they are teaching and what they're spewing online. You can say whatever you want. You can give all the promises in the world to people. And I think that that's incredibly damaging. Like you said, like it's just things that aren't true. It's misinformation. Right. Like but that's because people are not bound to tell you the truth. They're, they want to make money by you buying the workout equipment, by getting this new, like, fuck Noom. Signing up for Noom. Noom, go fuck yourself. I hate that company so much. We're not a diet. You're a fucking diet. <sighs> okay. But, like, that's the thing is they are not bound to tell you the truth. We have Noom saying this is not a diet to your face when it's a diet. Well, and if you're looking at a lot of, again, so when we talk about this at-home fitness explosion, what we mean is that there are a lot of people on YouTube. I do Chloe Ting workouts on YouTube, but there are a lot of, like, fitness YouTubers who blew up, right? Because you couldn't go to the gym anymore. At-home workouts became a huge thing. I spent months trying to find dumbbells, couldn't find them anywhere. It was, it was a big thing. Yeah. But... So even beyond, like, people saying, like, this isn't a diet when it is a diet, yeah. there's also a lot of information out there that's like, you know, do these five workouts and you'll get slim thighs. And the, the yeah. point, the fact is, listen, the fact is, my, the way my body is set up, okay, yeah. I carry my, your body is going to have fat on it. Yeah. I carry my fat in my thighs. Yeah. You cannot, there is no amount of exercising you can do that is going to spot reduce fat on your body. Like, yeah. it, it, you can't target, you can build muscle in those areas, but you right. can't target certain areas. And, and say, it might change a little bit, but sure. it's not going to be that, The appearance like, might change some, yeah. but it's not going to, you're not going to be able to say, if I do nothing but work out my thighs, I'm going to have, like, super whatever, right? It's, yeah. it's That's not how it works. And yeah. we have so many people preying on people, saying, like, yeah. just do these things for views or clicks or to buy a product. Oh, you my know? gosh. I was obsessed with 8-Minute Abs before I went to treatment because, for me, I used to always refer to myself as a Mr. Potato Head. I naturally have very long and lanky limbs, and if I gain weight, it's going to go to my cheeks and it's going to go to my stomach every single time. My mom's the same way. runs in the family. We just got cushy tummies. And the biggest thing for me is that I had to realize that it's not a bad thing for me to have fat on my stomach. I don't need to hate it. And I don't need to work so hard to get rid of it. And once that was something that I realized, then working out became more fun, more enjoyable, because I didn't have this vendetta against a certain part of my body. Your body is going to have fat on it. That is just the way your body should be 
the way it should be. Yeah. (laughs) And I think another big thing too is like, I, I, this just kind of popped into my head. I don't have any notes on it or anything, but I wonder a lot for like people who are going through puberty during this time where their bodies are changing a lot. Because I know for me, that was really difficult. I was a competitive skater. I had a very high muscle mass and all that kind of stuff. And when I quit and my body changed so fast. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to cope with that. And I had been always told like, oh, you know, you're perfect the way you are. Like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I don't look like that anymore. So I need to do everything I can to get back to that. And I can imagine for a lot of kids right now who are like in middle school and in high school who are going through puberty and are having those kinds of internal conflicts with their body because they may not be used to having fat in certain parts of their body. Right, and they're not going to in-person school where they're having to do, like, PE every day and things like that. I do want to clarify something I just said by saying, like, that's the way your body should be, having fat on on your body. Your body does have a a certain amount of fat, right? So I I just want to say, unless you are, like, in training as an Olympic athlete totally. for, like, a very small window of time. Yeah. Then, yes, your body needs to have fat on it. I just right. I don't want it to come across like I'm, like, shaming people for being super thin or, or for being super, like, muscular or, or, yeah. or anything. Well, but that's the thing is that we are not all Olympic athletes. We are, like, I, I don't live my life the way that I did from ages... 7 to 17. I was kickboxing. I was skating six hours a day. I was doing office training, ballet. I was so busy in everything in my life. I was homeschooled for a point for skating. Everything in my life came down to that one thing. And when that one thing went away, and I wasn't kickboxing all the time, I wasn't skating six hours a day, my body could finally... I didn't even go through puberty until I quit skating, really. I had my period, but I had no armpit hair. Like, I went through fast, major, major, major changes. And I think that that's something that a lot of athletes struggle with. But also I think that people like to look at celebrities and athletes being super fit and thinking that they need to be that way too, rather than there being all different types of body shapes and sizes that fit your lifestyle. Well, and even athletes and Marvel superheroes shouldn't be maintaining that all of the time. Like, it's not... I don't think it's actually physically good for you. That's why my body is broken. Like, my shoulder is no longer in its socket fully from falling for so many years. I couldn't even throw a punch in kickboxing anymore. I mean, doing... It does a lot on your body, and that's why we don't see ancient athletes that often. You know what I mean? Doing it for short stints when you're training is one thing. To maintain that every day, all the time, first of all, I think it's an an unhealthy level of focus, um, to focus your entire life on that for decades yeah. is, is to me, it's not a well-rounded life to right, do that, but, but that's also, my, my opinion. No, totally. And I, and I totally agree with you, but I think also like if you're in a sport or there's a reason why your body is having to be that way, for me at least, and I, I'm sure this was different for a lot of other skaters growing up, but for me at least, I wasn't as much focused on the results of my body. I was focused on the results of my skating. Right. Mm-hmm. Is, is jumping easier? Am I getting higher? Am I placing better? Like, those were my accolades that I was going after. And yeah. then when I quit, and in my mind, I became fat and, you know, all of this stuff, it it changed my my goals around the way that I looked. It wasn't so much about what my body could do for me anymore. Right. It was but looking it was, that way. Yeah. It yeah. was, what do I have to do to get my body back to that? Because my young self is what I've got to stay at. And that is well, and that's too. that's <laughs> another thing. Yeah. You know, I realize that a lot of us talking about this stuff is moving away from the focused conversation around just quarantine weight and just talking about bodies in general. But this hyper fixation, especially mostly on on women and girls, yeah. um, because I feel like there's a different set of unrealistic body standards for boys totally, entirely. Yeah. But for women and girls, this hyper fixation on keeping your adolescent body, right? Yes. Or like keeping this like teenage body, your body is going to change. And not everyone is going to have the same body they had at 16. It's just not... Nor should you, for the most part. For you know the what most I mean? Part, like, right? if that's how you naturally are, that's fine. But I think that... You know, I in think, general, your body will change. Like, yeah, that's just and I mean, especially part of it. You know, being a biological woman, you know, we tend to put more weight on our hips and our legs and our stomachs because our bodies are preparing preparing for, for a birth or mm-hmm. you know whatever. So there are certain things that fundamentally change about our bodies that we just have to be okay with. That was a huge thing for me, and I was just thinking about 
you know, kids with their lives being so different. And then maybe like they hadn't seen their friends in almost a year and feeling that pressure to look the way that you did the last time you saw your of friends. Course. Look the way you did before mm-hmm. when you go back to school or better. Yes. You know, it's like oh, it was yeah. this plotting of like, I'm I'm going to make this comeback. This almost, idea, you know? and that, that wasn't just kids, that was everyone. This yeah. idea that we're going to re-enter the world as beautiful butterflies, right? Yeah. Where it's just like, and if you don't, then what does that say about you? Because what did you do during your time exactly, then? Exactly, because we place so and you know specifically I think millennials oftentimes place our value is so tied up in our productivity as a generation that I think that there is a lot of pressure that is put on us to say like we we have to be productive yeah and if we can't outwardly show that we were we used our time productively in the pandemic then that means that we failed and so I think for a lot of people there's this mad scramble now to crash diet or to um, do things that might be not the healthiest in order to get themselves in a place where they are presentable and acceptable yeah and then especially with social media where I'm sure we all have the friend online that did lose a bunch of weight or did get super fit or did start a new business or did do something that was really great and then seeing that and knowing like especially for me where I'm like I can't get off my couch because I feel horrible like that makes me feel worse it's like well why didn't I start this extra thing why didn't I do that and it's so easy to have that what if in your head especially now that it's ending and I wonder you know at the beginning we didn't even know how long this was gonna be yeah we were like oh a couple weeks a couple months whatever and I wonder if it was a short span of time where there wouldn't be that kind of like mad dash to change so quickly but because it's been so much time Mm -hmm. it's almost like we have to prove ourselves that much more oh yeah because like you had all of this time to do this thing yeah like why didn't you do it but and there is that like perfectionism aspect of of this whole thing yeah and it, it just makes again there's just there's so many layers that I feel like have compounded this issue. Yeah. And then on top of everything else, you know, kind of to go back to talking about like Noom and talking about all of these other industries, the weight loss and beauty industries are, they're always looking to capitalize on our insecurities. Exactly. Always. But at this moment, they know that because of all those reasons, we are all particularly vulnerable (laughs) to their tactics, right? Yeah. So there's a great New York Times opinion piece uh, written by Jennifer... Jennifer Weiner, and she talks a lot about how the weight loss and beauty industries, um, you know, which have always preyed on us, are now looking to not only make money, capitalize on this situation, yeah. but also to make up the money that they lost in 2020, right? Yeah, because yeah. people, the beauty industry specifically, like makeup companies, took yeah. a massive De- went de- declined massively. Yeah, right? I'm because sure you know hair companies did. No one was going anywhere. Kind of it was just yeah. like salons were closed, like all of that stuff. No one was going to get their makeup done. Like nothing was was happening. And so now they feel like they have to make up for it by like mm-hmm. a double shutting attacking it down our us. Yeah. yeah. So many weight loss companies took a financial hit, according to Market Data Enterprises, which is a research firm. The overall U.S. diet industry reached a new peak of 78 billion in 2019, wow. but it lost 21 percent of its value in 2020. So it hit this high, right? Right. They were like, "Yes, finally." everyone is as insecure as we all have always wanted them to be. We've hit a new high, right? Yeah, yeah. Where the weight loss industry, you know, made billions of dollars. An ungodly amount of money off of people's insecurities. Disgusting, honestly. And then it lost 21% of that in 2020. So what is that looking like now then? So we are not sure, like, what it's looking like at this point in 2021. I haven't seen um, any, any data on, like, how that's doing, but I imagine... Pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. I mean, you were just talking about the tweakments and things mm-hmm. like that, how all of that went up, which is what makes me think that it's going to be much more obvious and intense than maybe it would have been in 2019 because of taking advantage of all of the insecurities well, that we've had. Yeah, I mean, so, okay. Before the pandemic, there was an estimated 5 to 10 million Americans who were suffering from body dysmorphia. But during the pandemic, during the pandemic, largely due to things like Zoom dysmorphia, that number was rising. Yeah. And then on top of that, we didn't even touch on the amount of time we're all spending on social media. So the yeah. amount of time that people are spending on social media during lockdown 
We don't have other things to do. So it went way up. The amount of time young people specifically right. are spending on TikTok because they're all at home and they're trying to connect with people their age or yeah. whatever. Like, that went way, way up. Right. So I am certain <laughs> that 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 this industry is doing much better. And in fact, a lot of people are reporting that, and myself included, that whenever you're on things like Pinterest, or even whenever I was on Instagram, when you're on Instagram, you are getting a lot more ads for um, fasting apps. Yep. You're getting a lot more ads for shapewear yeah. um, and diet supplements. Like those just have been on the rise steadily, Yeah, which means that they, they are trying. They are trying to hit us super hard, yeah. right? With this idea that like, hey, you gained all this weight during the pandemic or you, you don't do about you it? don't look like you did last year. What are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah. And like we can help. And like we were saying, the diet industry is also hiding behind terms like wellness. Yeah. Right. And strength. So where in the 90s and 2000s. And even health. Yes. You know, it's like, it's, there's just, and again, I, I think I said this exact thing in the mini episode talking about journalism. Like, they don't owe you honesty at no. all. They don't owe you calling it a diet. They can call it whatever they damn well please to make enough money off of you. But if you're hearing it enough, or people that you respect are saying it, podcasters you like, Instagram influencers that you like, so on and so forth, you're able to change your own mind about those things because of how they're selling their products. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, again, there by hiding it behind those terms, it's it's far more insidious and sneaky because they're really kind of preying on this quote unquote woke culture that totally, we now live in, yeah. right? Where in the '90s and the 2000s, they were just open that you should hate yourself, right? Like, oh, for real, every every magazine cover, every Cosmo I mean, co- cover, Kate Moss, nothing tastes as good as Skinny Feels. Oh yeah, I mean, they were just out with it, like yeah. that. Like, listen, you should hate the way you look, and we're going to use words like diet and calories when talking about our products, right? They didn't try and hide anything; they were yeah. just like. Yeah, this is what it is. You need to be on a diet, right? Right. They've evolved. They're smarter now. And now they know that they can't use that kind of terminology because we have negative connotations to those words now. So they're right. hiding you, behind other things. And you can't things. be negative about it. You can't be shaming people mm-hmm. into dieting and stuff. You almost had to kind of make people think that it's their idea or that it's going to better them in some way. Where before it was very, very, and I think it still is very shame-based, but I think it was much more outwardly shame-based Oh, yeah. You know, when we were little kids oh, and yeah. things like that. I mean, I remember all of, like, the slim fast diets and, I mean, all of that kind of stuff that was all supposed to be this quick fix to make you look like Kate Moss, you know? Right, when I will never look like Kate Moss. Yeah. It does not matter. <laughs> Kate Moss probably doesn't even look like Kate Moss no. in the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, no, of course not. And that was kind of, I mean, this is kind of going off topic, but I remember, like, growing up and having it be, like, what you see in the magazines isn't real. That was the big thing. It's like, oh, the covers of magazines, the retouch. We had to oh, teach yeah. Can ourselves. Oh, yeah, you believe airbrushing? That was yeah. the big thing in, like, the, the early 2000s or late 90s. Yeah, know? realizing that, like, oh, we're not looking at actual images of these people, but now it's to, like, the umpteenth degree because it's not just celebrities on magazines we're seeing. It's your friend down the street. 100%. Which makes it seem more attainable. Right. I mean, and that's, uh, that's you know, we've... we've talked this a million times we talked about it in the mini we yeah. had a whole episode a whole episode on on filters and stuff like that but that is another thing to keep in mind all these people who you think have used the pandemic to now that their their skin is glowing and their their bodies are snatched right yeah. like whatever that might not necessarily be true either because yeah. like what you're seeing again we're interacting on this completely false artificial plane because that's all we have right yeah. like during the pandemic it's not like you could balance out these images you're seeing online with, with be- real with people being with people you yeah. didn't have that option it was solely this situation where you were engaging with people through this fake medium and yeah. that was easily manipulated like yeah. we've talked about it a million times how easy it is yeah. to manipulate images online but then with the amount of time that we're spending looking at them too mm-hmm. having increased and so much yeah. you know what I mean like it's not like it was when we still had our lives or maybe we wouldn't be checking Instagram as often as we would if you're sitting at home I mean I would I would circulate through apps like crazy oh, yeah. when I'd be bored at home a hundred percent you know what I mean like it's there's nothing else for you to do there's only so much Netflix you can watch okay Dude, I still feel like I'm out of shows to watch and out of movies to see. I'm like, I've seen everything. 
Well, you get overwhelmed, too, with the amount of content. I'm like, there's so much content that, like, I get paralyzed. Yeah. I'm just like, I, I'll i just rewatch Friends, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to, like... Uh, um, but, you know, I kind of just wanted to say, like, in closing of this, and I'm sure <laughs> you have a lot of thoughts to close as well, <laughs> but... I've really had to work very hard, and I'm not there yet, as we've we've discussed. I still look in my full-length mirror and, and pinch at my body, and I still um, feel bad about the way that I look. Yeah. Um, more so than I have in a long time, right? Like, so I'm not the pinnacle of health and wisdom here. However, I do try to constantly remind myself. I say it out loud. I've put it on, on posts on social media. And I feel like it is important to have these affirmations where you acknowledge what your body is doing for you and what it has done for you in the middle of a national health crisis, Yeah, right? So if your body has changed, think about what it has endured to get you to this point. And that more than being a physical vessel that's supposed to be pretty to look at, it also houses your soul yeah. and your mind. Um, I abuse my body all the fucking time. I don't give it enough sleep. I drink too much wine. I, you know, do all of these things. Sometimes I, I eat crap, all, you know? Right. And my body fucking it kicks ass. It, like, keeps me going, keeps me alive. Yeah. And, like, those are the things that you should be focusing on. Yeah. Is the things that your body's doing for you. Yeah, it's 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 about changing the relationship with your body. And I think that the more we realize that doing things to physically change our body is not going to change the way that we think about our bodies. And it's not going to change the way we think about ourselves. And I'm glad that, you know, so many um, websites like BetterHelp and things like that became so much more accessible and so many more people started going to therapy during the pandemic and Mm -hmm. things like that because I would just say to anybody who's struggling with their bodies and they feel like that is the primary focus to take a step back to think of your mental health to think about why you're thinking of your body that way and treating the root cause of that it's because you know if you're if you are scrutinizing yourself because of anxiety and depression, go to the root of that problem mm-hmm. and look at yourself and do the hard work. That's the really hard work because once we are okay with ourselves and our bodies and all of the different ways that it may look throughout our lives, because our bodies are going to constantly be evolving until we die. And our faces, by the way, we didn't and even we didn't even touch oh my on God, that. I've gotten so many more wrinkles over the pandemic. I have like Everyone five did. gray hairs now. Everyone one aged. I, I really feel like that. I've never felt old in Me my neither. life until until the last like year. And I, I want to acknowledge that as well. Most of our listeners are younger, but we do have some older listeners. And um, us millennials, listen, we're getting there. Okay, we're 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 in the night cream era of life. You know what I mean? And um, that's something also that we didn't even touch on is aging. Yeah, is its whole own (laughs) we definitely have to have an episode on aging because it is fucking tough like that i feel like has been the toughest thing for me with like my face is being like i don't look as young as i used to even last year like i feel like i look like an old lady you you don't but say yeah and like i completely understand especially you and i being in the industry that we went into and i feel like both of us kind of being cast younger for a long time yeah can really fuck with your brain oh um, totally entirely so you're so used to your face looking one way and then all of a sudden you're just kind of like wait what and it really does feel like it really does feel like it changes all at once and then you're like what (laughs) i know exactly but i mean i guess to close i would just say that whenever you are feeling like you want to beat up your body or beat up some sort of physical aspect of yourself to take a beat, to think about what's going on internally and to take care of that part of you first because everything else is going to fall into place. If you're gaining weight because of anxiety, deal with the anxiety and your body is going to do what it's going to do. And it's the same way for the other way. And I've had to tell myself that my body is going to take care of me. It always has. It's been through worse. Mm -hmm. I have put my body through hell and back. Mm -hmm. But I know... That I have a sound mind when it comes to food. I'm going to gain the weight back. I'm going to be healthy. And I have to be patient with myself instead of constantly beating myself up every single day for not being the image of what I expect to see in the mirror. Yes. I got to work on the inside shit first. Yes. Everything else is going to fall into place. Yeah. And you know what? Going into summer, just wear that swimsuit. 
Just Who do it. Who the fuck cares? And honestly, I love how much that whole movement has evolved. It's like, if you want a bikini body, great, you've got one. Put a bikini on. Like, I love that that kind of conversation has become so much more common. And I think having those conversations with your friends and lifting each other up, not commenting on each other's bodies, not commenting on things that are purely aesthetic, but just being thankful that you have your friends again or things like that. Because if someone did lose a lot of weight, it's easy for you to be like, oh my God, you look so good. You lost all that weight. Or, oh my God, look at how curvy you look. Look at that butt on you. Right, you have no idea what that could do to somebody. Exactly, and that's why in the beginning too, I said we're not going to talk about numbers. We're not going to talk about those things. Once we start to take the focus off of our bodies and more onto ourselves, everything is going to fall into place. Right. It's just how it works. Yeah. Ooh, I gotta pee real bad. So let's finish this bad boy up. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. If you have any suggestions for things you'd like for us to talk about in the future, please go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. And we will love you eternally if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a quick little sentence about why you love us all right that's all we have for you today with all that being said we encourage you to to rage rage on. on bye hey there this is justin bartha i made a funny new podcast king of the egg cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like lewis black i'm torn by my feelings for two women Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.